Hello and welcome to the Paddock Bees podcast. I'm Tim Nash, a beekeeper always wanting to learn more and also the man behind the Paddock Bees account on Instagram. This is a podcast for those who've fallen into the beekeeping trap and want to learn a little bit more from the beekeeping community. Each week, we'll mix up the guests and provide some insights into the world of beekeeping. So sit tight and we'll soon make a start. Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Paddock Bees podcast. Really sorry that you've all had to wait for this episode, but it's well worth the wait. I'm joined by Simon Noble from the Noble Bees based down in the New Forest. It's another great chat, so let's get started. Simon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining. Thank you for having me. Let's go back to the beginning as per usual. When did you start beekeeping? And what got you initially interested in keeping bees? I think it was 2013 when I started beekeeping. And it's kind of a few reasons that got me um, into it. And then um, a sort of a pivotal moment uh, when I actually started beekeeping. I mean, I was I, I was brought up on a farm um, and part of our farm is, a, is quite a big woodland area. And our, our parents uh, brought us up to... Uh, to appreciate nature and wildlife, so I'd always always had a sort of inclination towards um, that side of things. And actually, my dad was a beekeeper, um, but he had to give up beekeeping in the eighties because he became allergic to the to the bee stings. Uh, yeah, and and actually, my granddad was a beekeeper as well, although I never met my granddad because he died before I was born. So I sort of came from a family of of beekeepers. Um, but when my dad gave up beekeeping, he um, left the, the, the three hives that he had in situ and they literally sat there for about 25 years. Um, and then in 2013, a lady came and knocked at um, the, the farmhouse door um, where my dad was living um, to tell him that um, she'd found a uh, tree that had basically blown over in a storm um, and it snapped and the reason it snapped it was because it was hollow and in this hollow was a colony of bees um, and I came home from work that day um, and my dad told me the, uh, the, the story that this lady had been around um, and she came to him because she um, remembered him as being a beekeeper so I went for a walk to try and find this um, colony of bees that was sort of on the floor and it was in the middle of winter um, and I went to this woodland where apparently it was um, and after a little while of looking, I found this colony of bees and they were just sort of all over the floor and all the combs smashed up. And I thought, um, you know, I don't really just want to let this colony of bees perish. So I got in touch with the New Forest Beekeepers Association to tell them that I found this um, colony of bees. And um, they sent out a lady to to rescue it. Um, and I, of course, had to show her where it was. So I um, walked her um, into the woods with a wheelbarrow with all her kit in it. Um, and I stayed there and watched her rescue this colony of bees and, and put them into a nucleus box. Um, and I just found it really, really fascinating. So I, um, I, I literally went home and started Googling about beekeeping and, and if there was anything I could do to learn it. And I found that the New Forest Beekeepers Association were actually starting a uh, beekeeping for beginners course uh, the following month. So I enrolled on that, started the course, and I really, really enjoyed it. 
Um, and then the three hives that my dad had left that had been sat there for about 25 years, I took them over um, and they were they were quite dilapidated. So they had uh, ivy growing over them and woodpecker holes on them and they were sort of clap, half collapsing. Um, so I um, put them into new hives and, and took them over. So, yeah, so it was sort of like a combination of things, really. And I think... I think I would have got into beekeeping anyway if it wasn't for that moment. But um, it was that that particular sort of pivotal moment that sort of was the uh, the reason that actually put me on the road to becoming a beekeeper. And actually, it's amazing, really, the the journey it's taken me on since. Three colonies back in two thousand and thirteen. Eight years on, what's your current colony count? I've got around seventy at the moment, and seventy is quite a small number of hives for a commercial operation but uh i i made a, a decision not to have too many hives when because i did a season in new zealand um working for big bee farmers out there that had 3500 hives um, and i did that after i'd been keeping bees for about three years and um and i went out there to sort of gain more knowledge and learn more about commercial beekeeping but really the main thing that that taught me was that I didn't want to be a beekeeper on that scale, actually, because it took away all the romance from beekeeping and the whole reason that I started it in the first place. So, so you know, any any bee farmers that are listening will, you know, they'll agree that 70 actually is quite a small number for a commercial operation. But I do run my, my business in a slightly different way to most other uh, beekeeping operations. We've had a few bee farmers come on and their, their colony count they has been somewhat larger but interesting that you did your season in in new zealand it's uh another guest had done a, a season in australia so it seems to be the the thing to do go and get your experience over there yeah well i mean it's such a big industry in new zealand because of the manuka of course um i mean there's literally thousands and thousands of beehives all across new zealand and and you know when you're driving down the road um, you will you normally always pass a lorry with a load of beehives on the back, or, or beekeepers with their um, honey boxes or supers on the back. So, it, life in New Zealand. But yeah, so yeah, I, I mean, I went there with the intention of sort of learning, and I and I did learn, but but I didn't learn as much as I expected because there is it's such a big thing. It's not really so much so much about. Um, beekeeping and learning the intricacies of it it's more about um well i felt more like a sort of beekeeping laborer out there you know we're running around um different apiaries and you know we had to do things as quickly as possible and get the job done so it wasn't really beekeeping as i like to do it i'm going to go off piece here you've mentioned manuka what's so special about manuka it is uh quite a unique um, honey in the sense that it has antimicrobial properties so um, it has like uh, these um, it's I'm sort of mumbling a bit here but it's it's honey that has a active ingredient that fights um, bacteria and um, and things like that so that's why they use it on on wounds and stuff like that because it will stop infection infections from setting in so that's an example of, of why it's quite a powerful honey um, but it's also, in a similar way, it's very good for you if you consume it, um, literally by eating it. Although, having said that, um, 
Manuka honey has been the subject of quite a big sort of marketing campaign um, and a lot of research, which was probably sort of a clever um, thing by the, the government in New Zealand to sort of promote that industry. But actually, to be quite honest with you, a lot of honeys do have similar properties, um, but they just haven't undergone the same research as the same uh, sort of um, marketing uh, that Manuka has. Um, for example, heather honey from, well, I mean, I produce heather honey from the heathland in the new forest here, um, and they produce also a lot in Scotland. But heather honey um, is now being compared to Manuka honey because it has very similar um, beneficial qualities. Um, and they've been doing a lot of research on it recently and, and are starting to actually prove that. So I think that a lot of honeys do have, well, definitely have beneficial qualities, but just haven't um, been the subject of research and, and marketing like Manuka has. I thought I'd read somewhere that there's more Manuka honey on sale than is feasibly, feasibly possible for them to actually extract and, and the bees to, to make. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's true. And I'm, well, actually, last week I read something about honey in general that, um, and, and it was honey that comes from China that um, more honey is being sold than than is being produced. So, um, which sort of cements that the uh, the idea that there's a lot of um, basically fake honey being produced. For some people who might not know, fake honey might be or you might have authentic honey which is diluted with a syrup and then it gets gets thinned out for any beekeeper over here as, as honey we need to make sure that we are looking at the water content making sure that the water content is what down well below 20 and then uh, at that point yeah we we can sell it as honey but you can often find well with relative ease a number of articles about fraud food fraud and and all of those sorts of issues in the honey industry yeah i mean um you're definitely right i mean i i know quite a few um beekeepers um that are quite um active in campaigning and raising awareness uh, for or against fake honey um and i know that you know they they go as far as adding flavor and color to the syrup to make it taste like real honey. Um, and I've, I've even heard stories of honey or fake honey being sent to labs that has certain things put in it that actually fool the machine to make the machine think that it is real honey. So it's quite a sort of serious big business that needs to be addressed really because um, it makes it very hard for commercial beekeepers like myself that produce you know real proper honey um to compete in in price with price against those those companies um and that's something that i'm embarking on a journey to sort of understand and try to um promote to people that we're not charging enough for our honey in england and, and one of the reasons for that is because of all this sort of cheap honey in supermarkets that determines a price that people are prepared to pay and expect to pay for honey. Several companies you've got at the moment, how did you get there? Has that been split or have you brought bees in? Um, I've got to 70 um, and, and 70 in, in eight years isn't a, a lot. Um, I mean, you, you know, if I really wanted to increase my numbers, I could have split and make, made nukes and all that sort of stuff. 
Um, and I could have, could be up to a few hundred now if I wanted to, but really I've got there mostly as a result of swarm control. So when my hives go into swarm mode, I will either split them. So I'm letting them swarm, but um, sort of artificially swarming them. So I'm rather than let artificially swarming them into another hive of my own, or, I mean, there's, as you know, there's many different to to control swarming um, and another technique I might use sometime is to is to take a nucleus from a hive which will just reduce the population enough of the parent colony to change their mind from swarming so I've got to that number really mostly just by um, as a result of swarm control um, and and of course of some a few swarms here and there along the way that I've picked up from various places what have you got all of those colonies in are they in wood Polly, what size? I use um, national hives. Yeah, I, I, I like wooden hives because uh, I just feel they're sort of a nat. I like to work with natural. I like, like to keep things as natural as possible, and I also like working with wood. I, I mean, I've heard that poly hives have good, um, have their merits in terms of insulation, and, and I've heard that um, bee colonies can overwinter better in poly hives. But yeah, I've always used the wooden hives and, and, and it's worked well for me. And I've, I've never really had a big problem with winter losses. And what do you enjoy most about your beekeeping? Yeah, it's a, that's a good question. I mean, there's lots of things I enjoy about beekeeping. Um, one, I just find bees absolutely fascinating um, and they're such a complex, mysterious um, species um, and really, know that much about them i mean there's there's an endless amount of books that have been written and and people that um and that but there's so much mystery still surrounding bees and i find that quite um uh compelling as well so there's that side of just the bees and what a fascinating creature they are um and then i think it's also just for me it's sort of like i mean it sounds a little bit deep but it's sort of like an enlightening experience to keep bees because it opens up your mind to a different nature appreciation and it really starts to make you question things um you know what it's all about and and um and also you know it's interesting that i'd always noticed flowers um before i started beekeeping but um since i've started beekeeping i've noticed and appreciated flowers in a whole different way so i'm always now we're just looking at what's flowering you know even when i'm driving along i'll be looking at the hedgerows to see what's flowering and and when i'm walking around i have a look see what flowers are out and if the bees are visiting it and if they're collecting pollen or nectar um and even you know the vibrancy of of the blossom from one year to the next so um so yeah not only have i become a beekeeper but i've become a flower appreciator and my knowledge of flowers has really improved um since i've started keeping bees and also butterflies and, and things like that i've started to appreciate those and bumblebees so yeah it sort of opens up the gates to a whole different way of thinking i can agree it's it's an eye-opener i was walking around to the shop getting my lunchtime chocolate bar just getting away from the desk and uh, there's this bush and there were so many honeybees and bumblebees all over it I, I don't know what it was but I'm looking I'm walking and I'm looking it's like what's what's in flowers oh I don't know what it is but the bees are all over this at the moment then 
for some of you who follow on social media, I've had to had to move the bees. I walk past that same bush uh, three days later and all, all, all the honeybees have gone. It's just really interesting to take the time to stop and actually look. If And I thought to myself there and then, if you just walk past that at walking pace, you don't see any activity. You walk past it and you proactively look and you will see something. And, and that's what I just find interesting. It, it really makes you stop and appreciate rather than just appreciate. And I think that stopping is really key sometimes to actually take a break from what you're doing have a look at something invest into that into that something and uh yeah it's just again that form of escapism and and just challenging yourself to to look at something in a different way yeah i mean i completely agree with you and it's like um you know sometimes you might stand below a lime tree that's in that's flowering and the whole tree's humming because of the amount of bees that are foraging on it and it's just um and i love just standing below a tree or even by a bush as you just said and just listening to the hum of all the bees as they work it um and, it, and, it, and it's the same with a swarm of bees actually a lot of people just ask me what do you do with a swarm of bees I used to say well you do this and that and this but actually what I say now is well the first thing you should do when you find a swarm of bees is just stand there and stare at it for a while because it's actually quite an amazing spectacle of nature that you should you know take the time to look at and appreciate I think I spent too long last year it flew off yeah <laughs> i was on the phone to another beekeeper just because it was a bit of a tricky one and then i walked back into the garden just to see them going off over the fence yeah i i remember my um my second year of beekeeping um one of my hives swarmed and I, and I went to collect the swarm and they literally just took off in front of my eyes uh, it was run after this swarm of bees through the local estate um i did i couldn't catch up with them but um Everyone must have wondered what on earth I was doing. <laughs> yeah, I had to drive around the block just to see if I could see which way they were going, where they settled. But it didn't take me long just to turn around and get out my bee suit because it was a bit of a scorcher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's one of the, um, the challenges of beekeeping, isn't it? It's, it's the swarming season and sort of trying to manage your, your colonies um, for swarming. Um. And I think, I, I guess I sort of let it worry me and stress me out a little bit. I just had to stop all my bees from swarming. But I think when you've done it for a few years, you sort of relax it about it a little bit. And you are going to lose a few swarms here and there. And, you know, and it is part of nature at the end of the day. As long as you're confident that you know that you've tried to do the right thing in trying to prevent it, then I don't think you can hold it too personally, can you? Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, I think it's probably beneficial to let the odd swarm go off into the wild world anyway. Um, hopefully into a, a hollow oak tree rather than someone's roof. But um, I do think it's important that there are wild colonies in existence still because um, it gives them a chance to deal with things as nature would intend. Turning the question on its head, what do you dislike most about beekeeping? Quite a simple person in life in in terms of I, I like to keep things. Um, I don't like to own too much stuff. Um, I like to have sort of, I don't like lots of clutter. The only trouble is with beekeeping, especially if you're a commercial beekeeper, you have to have so much equipment. I mean, I've got, you know, 
a big shed full of supers and I've got a room for processing the honey and I have to have a honey extractor and boxes of jars and and all the rest of the equipment that goes with it. I mean, you literally, as you know, Tim, you have to have so much stuff when you're, when you're a beekeeper. And I compare myself to my sister, Emma, for example, who does all my um, graphic design work. She just has a, a laptop in which she can fit in her bag and that's all she needs for her work. So, yeah, sometimes I think it'd be nice to have a job where you didn't require so much equipment. Um, but it is what it is. Um, and I I mean, mostly I everything about beekeeping I love. Um, and I love also the sort of peace and quiet of getting out in the countryside on my own. Outside of that, sometimes it would be nice, I think, to work in an environment where you're working with other people because you know you do spend a lot of time on your own and actually you know the bee farmers association offer offer support to their members because they realize that this is uh you know this can be a a challenge to to spend so much time on your own but i do actually like spending that time on my own but you know occasionally you think it would be nice to work in a team and that was one thing about working in new zealand you know there was a, a team of 10 of us and it was good fun you know and you and you could get have a bit of banter and have a, have a bit of fun. And I think when you're working with other people, it's sort of, you know, you motivate each other and, and it, it can make things a bit easier. I mean, other than that, I don't really, yeah, I don't, there's not much I don't like about it, to be honest with you. Let's give Emma her credit. She did a fantastic job on your labels, on, on your candles and on your honey. I think you've got some of the best labels out there. The gold foil, I really like that touch. They are, they're some smart looking labels. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. I mean, um, I used to have sort of quite a generic label, um, and then as I sort of realised I was going to do it as a business, I asked Emma if she could design some honey labels for me, um, and she came up with the current ones that we've got. And I have to say, it has literally transformed my business and taken it to another dimension. Um, so I think you know, branding of your product is so important. Um, and I think that's probably something that lacks quite a lot in the um, in the honey industry in England is um, is a lack of good branding because you know if you've got a good label on your jar of honey it can add a lot of value to that product. Um, but when we launched the the, the new labels, we I did start uh, um, so I extract each apiary separately, um, and then I write of each jar exactly which apiary the honey comes from. So. So as well as launching a new brand, um, I launched a new, con well, not a new concept, but a new concept for me, which is single origin honey. And people want to know about provenance. I, I think that's more keen now than ever before. So to be able to say this honey came from the hives in that location, that that's just what people want. And they want to know where their food's coming from and, the, the whole focus on food miles and how far things have traveled to get on their plate is yeah, more important now than it has been before. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think you're right. And I think take, um, um, processing your honey as single origin is taking it that step further. Um, and I think it's quite a sort of good point of interest for customers because they're so used to just buying a, a jar of honey. And, you know, and, and even a lot of bee farmers are still sort of jarring up their honey as a as a um a, a blend of all their honeys that they've harvested that year um and i think when you um 
when you jar up each honey separately from each apiary, it creates a lot of interest. And, you know, sometimes when I do markets and I, and I put out a taster board of all the different honeys from all the different apiaries, it really does, um, people find it really interesting, you know, that, um, and, and it's true that, you know, honey from one apiary can taste completely different from a honey from another apiary that can only be, you know, two miles down the road, just because they have different things grown in the, in the vicinity of those hives. Um, yeah, and it's amazing, really. What's been your funniest story? Um, <laughs> I mean, I've got lots of sort of little funny stories where you have to be there to to um, understand why it's funny. As you say, you have to you had to be there. Uh, I mean, there was I found it funny, but and it's not so much beekeeping related, um, but. Um, my dad, who left us three years ago, I was taking him to hospital um, once a month for, for about a year. And um, every time he went to hospital, we would take a Tesco's um, carrier bag with a newspaper, a radio and a few other bits in Bob's um, to keep him occupied while he was in the hospital. One day I was giving him a lift over to the hospital and I happened to have a Tesco's carry a bag full of beeswax in the passenger side of my van um, and my dad accidentally picked up this carrier bag of beeswax instead of, instead of his bag of, of newspaper and stuff and um, uh, when I went to pick him up he said he went into the hospital and went to get his newspaper out and he looked in the bag and uh, he'd uh, picked up my bag of beeswax by accident. Um, I don't know why but that tickled me at the time. I was trying, trying not to laugh over that. I, I can totally imagine just like getting yourself comfortable, sitting down, getting your chair, open, open up the bag. This yeah. is the last thing I wanted. That's right. Yeah, uh, it was funny. Yeah, but um, yeah, we had a good laugh about it anyway. How was the twenty twenty season for you on the whole? Yeah, I mean, it was my second best year um, since I started. Uh, my best year was the year before. The, yeah, it was quite a good. I had a, my best year for spring honey and the summer honey was average. Um, it was quite a poor year for heather honey this year. I mean, every year I take most of my hives out onto the heathland in the new forest to get a pure heather honey crop. But the heather honey um, is so reliant upon the right weather conditions. And, and this year we had really dry conditions leading up to the flower of the heather. So, so, so that when I took the bees out there, um, the flowers weren't really yielding any nectar because it was so dry. Um, and then after about two weeks, um, it just rained continuously, um, so they couldn't go out anyway. So I had my worst ever year for heather honey. Um, but but overall, it wasn't too bad. A clock that you've now got the new forest mark. Can you say a bit more about what that is? Yeah, um, the new forest mark is this sort of, um, it's like a, a company or i don't know if you would call it a company but um they, they've set up this um thing where they endorse producers from the new forest that, that um i mean essentially it's endorsing endorsing produce true new forest produce uh, of a certain quality so they don't just sort of let anyone in they um they'll come and visit you and have a look at what you do um and if they feel you're worthy they'll let you become a member um and then you get to put one of their stickers on your products and, and sort of um, advertise that you're a member of the New Forest Mark. So it's a sign of new, uh, true quality New Forest produce.
which is great again just to get the endorsement and, and to get the focus and for people to appreciate the the origin of the product where the product's being created and and harvested so yeah that's uh it, it was good to see that you're right i mean all, all those things sort of help as i was saying earlier about how i feel that um british honey is undersold particularly sort of wildflower honey because i mean i produce i only produce wildflower honey so i try to avoid um crop honey like oilseed rape and borage and stuff like that so what i'm aiming for is is proper wildflower honey and so if you can um the more endorsements you can get whether that be the new forest mark or i've also got a great taste award as well now that all helps in um um commanding the, the deserved price that honey should be um and um you know really i think we're generally speaking um bee farmers aren't really charging enough for their honey um i mean when you think of the work that goes into producing it um from both the bees and the beekeeper and then we sell a jar of honey for you know six or seven pounds and some people even less it just doesn't seem right um and and a lot of bee farmers do do confess that they really they hardly make any money and and, and i think well why why are so many bee farmers charging such little for such an amazing product? Um, so, yeah, so having those endorsements is another thing to sort of help justify putting the price up. I think we need we need to put the price of, of honey up to, 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 one, to make it an easier environment for bee farmers. And also, um, for, that also has a knock-on effect for the welfare of the bees. You know, if we charge more for the honey, then it means we can look after our bees um, much better, um, which at the end of the day is the most important thing. Um, so, I mean, I, I feel that I charge more than more than average for my honey, but to be honest with you, I still feel, feel like I'm not charging enough for it. Um, and, and just before we spoke, I got on Google, and I was just Googling the average price of that people pay for a, a bottle of wine in England, which is, I'm not sure what the average price people pay for a bottle of wine, but the average price a bottle of wine for sale for is six pounds. Um, and you know, when you think you gulp down a bottle of wine in an evening, well, well I do anyway, I don't know about you, Tim, but um, you know, and a jar of honey can last you a week or two, you know, so really I think we should be charging 20 pounds for a bottle, for a, for a jar of honey. I've got a sweet tooth. I do it the other way around. I'll probably polish off a honey in an evening and a wine in a couple of weeks. All oh, right. <laughs> well, there you go then. But yeah, I think I think you know what I'm trying to say anyway. But, yeah, and you're not alone yeah, in that thinking. We, we've had other guests who have come onto the podcast and, and they've said the same thing. It's we shouldn't be undervaluing the the effort that that everyone goes into and i did i did see a post the other week which was if a bee earned the minimum wage then we what we would be paying per jar of honey was extortionate just with the amount of effort that goes into creating a teaspoon let alone a jar yeah well exactly i mean you know i mean when you think the amount of flowers that a bee visits to to produce one jar of honey you know i mean it visits millions and and millions of and and there's so many different types of flowers or well, certainly my honey is so many different types of flowers in that go into that honey it's such a sort of complex and amazing substance but uh yeah i mean an, another thing is um not to discredit the the older generation of bee farmers and I'm not, I'm not saying this applies to all of the older generation of bee farmers but they do charge too little for the honey so it makes it 
harder for sort of young up and coming beekeepers to um, command the the prices that they need to. Um, because I, most bee farmers that I personally know will say, you know, they'll admit that they struggle to really make a decent amount of money out of it, but really they should be, you know, they should be doing well out of it, um, considering the amount of effort they've they've had to put into it and what a special product it is. Challenge goes out there to those hobbyist beekeepers as well who are selling from the honesty box or from the front door and challenges. What can you be doing to support our UK bee farmers? Are we selling the honey too cheaply, which is driving down a price? And so people aren't actually supporting our bee farmers who are out there trying to do this full time relative to, to those of us who have our separate career and are doing this on the side because we enjoy that connection with nature or, or whatever your motive may be. So take a step back, have a think about that, because also we don't want to be the ones responsible for the the bee farmers and the commercial beekeepers not getting the price that they should be getting for the product that they're bringing to market as well. Yeah, and that's another, you know, that is, you're exactly right. That's another good point that um, hobby beekeepers are also determined, determining the price of honey. Um, so, yeah, they're sort of setting a precedent of, of again, of what, people should expect to pay for local honey um and i guess because they do it as a hobby they haven't got that um they haven't got that motivation to want to sell it for the the high prices that it needs to be sold for because they don't rely on on it for a living um i suppose one thing that commercial bee farmers have in their favor is that they're able to supply wholesale on much larger quantities than sort of um hobby beekeepers so so therefore that they have that in their advantage um but you're absolutely right i completely agree with you but the trouble is it's a hard it's a hard thing to address isn't it that because because they they do it for a hobby and they probably sell it to their friends and family and stuff and they don't want to charge their friends and family 10 pounds for a for a jar of honey so it's a difficult one that but you're absolutely right I know I don't mind charging friends and family that bit that much more if I get a a new hive or some new kit out of it. Sorry, everyone that's listening, you're going to pay more this season. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's it's true, isn't it? It's it's an expensive hobby, so um, we certainly have to cover our costs. But um, you know, a lot of people do it for a hobby and and not at all for the monetary value. And and, and for most hobby beekeepers, if they can sort of cover the cost of the hobby then that, that's i guess their main um consideration so what are your plans for this season simon i've got quite a few um ambitions for this year and whether i'll be able to pull them all off or not i'm not sure um i want to try to increase my colony numbers to 100 this year um and that's as many as i'm going to go um to just that the demand for my honey's got so high that i'm i mean i'm literally on my last few jars now um and i'm turning down um wholesale um offers so i'm gonna i'm gonna increase my hive numbers a bit my sister emma and i are actually starting up a side business together um i don't know if i can tell you at the moment but i'll give you a clue we're going to be releasing a uh, a spirit with that has honey in it and other bits and bobs from the new forest so that will be coming out fairly soon and i also hope to and i don't know if it's going to happen or not but start a charity to um help restore wildflower meadows um because i'm not sure if well you might be aware of this tim but 
um, since World War Two, we've lost ninety-seven percent of our wildflower meadows. So, um, yeah. So I think for me, that's quite an important thing as well. So if, if I do have time, um, I would like to do that as well, and then donate percentage of the profits from the Noble Bee to that charity, um, and then try to, um, you know, raise money from other from donations from outside um, um, sources. Apart from that, um, I, I have also got another big project on, which is restoring our family farm. I, as I mentioned before, my, my dad passed away um, three years ago, and so I've inherited part of a farm, um, so I'm very lucky. Um, so I'm, as well as running the business, I'm also restoring a farmyard, which is, which is going to become a hub for beekeeping, education and celebration. Well, that's my uh, slogan anyway. So yeah, it's a busy, a busy year. I mean, a good number of exciting challenges there, though. What a position to be in! I think that uh, just grow, 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 and, and go, go, go. And it's great to hear the ambition and, and the plans, and that things are going so well that you're only down to your last few jars. And uh, yeah, there's the growth anticipation there. What a yeah, like I said, fantastic position to be in. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm very lucky, and um, I mean, I have worked hard to get. The, the beekeeping business to where it is um and i am lucky that i've inherited that part of the farm um but I, you know i intend to sort of use it to to do good things um and I, you know i'm also in the prime of my life so it's now or never if i don't do it now i'm never going to do it and if people want to keep up to date with all of this progress I'm guessing the website www.thenoblebee.co.uk facebook instagram they those the go to yeah, um, to, um, to sort of keep a direct link with what's going on Facebook and probably mostly Instagram because um, I do sort of I try to be quite in, active on Instagram, um, which, which I have to say has opened up a lot of doors for me with, with my um, with my beekeeping endeavours. Um, I haven't spoken really yet about the restoration of the farm and my intentions for that on Instagram yet or or, or any other social media outlets, but I do intend to. I'm just waiting for the right time. But yeah, I um, I will be sort of um, starting to post up a few bits and bobs about that side of things. Um, and then hopefully when things allow and the pandemic gets to a situation that we, we can start doing more, then I am going to start having open days and stuff where people can come to the farm and um, and see what we do and um, walk around the poll pollinator garden that I'm creating at the moment. Um, and learn a bit about beekeeping and yeah, what we do. So yeah, there's lots going on, lots going on, and lots in the pipeline. So as we come in to wrap this episode up, question that I really like to close with: What are your jobs for the week ahead? I've just done all my inspections the last two days, so that leaves the rest of my week free. Um, I'm going to be. I've run out of candles, so I'm going to be making lots of candles tomorrow. Um, I'm going to be doing lots of work on the farm as well to sort of continue that restoration project. Um, I've got my beekeeping experience day starting in a couple of weeks, so um, I've got I'm running 16 of those this year. Um, so I'm just sort of starting to get things ready for that as well. Um, and yeah, I've, I'm a little bit behind with stuff, so I've got to make up some frames and um, and stuff like that, um, and and repair some equipment. Um, and yeah, and, and just sort of, I have my postal orders every morning to send out. Um, look, there's loads of stuff going on. It's sort of hard to remember it all, really. 
Um, but yeah, so it's a bit of a mixed list of things to do, really. In your inspections at the moment, just to help some of the new beekeepers out there, what are the sorts of things that you're looking for at this time of year? At the moment, I'm, well, mostly, I'm, well, I'm looking for two things at the moment, just to check that the colonies have got enough food um, or enough honey, because they're, they're expanding so rapidly at this time of year that they can get through a lot of honey. And, and whilst there is a lot of things flowering, it might not be, they not, might not be able to gather enough nectar to sustain the, the, the growing colony. Um, I do look after my bees in a way that I leave them, try to leave them more than enough honey. So actually mostly my colonies don't need feeding, but still you have to keep an eye on it. Um, so there's that side of things. Um, and also, you know, the swarming season has, has just started. So I'm looking for signs that um, my colonies might be thinking of swarming and I've actually lost a couple of swarms already. Um, and that's because I haven't really done any full inspections until the last two days, just because it's been too cold to do inspections, really. Um, I know bee, some bee farmers have already been doing inspections, but I, I left it till the uh, temperature was right. So yeah, so I'm looking to see um, if the colonies are thinking about swarming and if they are, then I can start to carry out um, swarm management techniques Great advice there, Simon. Thank you so much. And Simon, that's it. We could keep on going on and on and on, I feel, but I don't think the listeners will have three hours to listen to us just keep on <laughs> yeah. going. Yeah, well, well, maybe we can meet up in another couple of years and we can um, see how it's all going. Definitely. Well, look, thank you so much for jumping on for this episode. Really appreciate you giving up the time. Thanks again, Simon. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tim. Good luck for the season. Hi everyone, thanks for taking the time to join me today for the Paddock Bees podcast. I really hope you found it useful. I'd love for you to come back and give me some feedback. So head over to Instagram and send me a direct message or email me on paddockbees at gmail.com. I want to hear from you. I want to know what you want to hear about. So please don't hesitate to give me your thoughts. Once again, thanks for joining. See you next time. Bye.